2: Hey everybody! Welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Mason Avenue's Minor League Podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm joined here by Lucas Flajos
0: and Ken Levin. How are you guys doing? Good, good, good. No longer sick, thankfully.
1: I wish I could say the same.
0: Oh, <laughs> I got you sick through the radio waves. Yep, that's the worst kind of sickness.
2: All right. Well, today is Cinco de Mayo. And that is not actually Mexico's Independence Day, which I didn't know either. I know a lot of people get that wrong. It's actually celebrating Mexico's victory over the French at the Battle of Puebla, which was in 1862. And a little bit more recently, in 1996, the Mets actually went to Mexico. And they played the first Major League Baseball game there at uh, Estadio de Baseball in Monterey. They played against the Padres. And they lost because the Mets always lose, but it was one hell of a game. Uh going into the later inning, San Diego actually had a fifteen to nothing lead. But wow. the Mets yeah, the Mets fought back, they scored three runs in the seventh, and then they scored seven runs in the bottom of the ninth.
0: Jeez. Um,
2: yeah, I mean you hear about like the PCL and that weather while well, Mexico is
0: is this Mexico the same is stadium? Bad. Is this the same stadium they played in this year, the Astros and the Angels, or is that a different stadium?
2: I don't actually know where they played.
0: Okay, I'll look it up real quick. But keep going.
2: If it was Jalisco, that all makes sense. That's I'll like see. the course, the course field of Mexico. Yeah. yeah, this was Monterey. I don't really know Mexican oh, okay. geography too well, but. But anyway, um, in honor of that game, I went back into the Baseball America archives to see who the Mets' top three prospects were in 1996. So who are we going oh, to promote? Boy. Extend and trade between Paul Wilson, right-handed pitcher, Jay Payton, center fielder, and Ray Ordonez, shortstop. All three of those guys made the major leagues, obviously, but arguably, I guess, you could say none of them really lived up to the potential. But they all had kind of, you know, journeymanish, low-key careers. So I mean, in one sense, they didn't live up to their potential, but at the same time, they did make, you know, make the majors and had more than just cups of coffee. Uh,
0: let's think. Who is? Uh, I'm not gonna lie. This is before my t- time. I already forgot the name of the center fielder.
2: <laughs> J. Payton. J. Payton.
0: Jay Payton. Yeah, I'm not, 2000
2: I... Mets, he's kind of... he's pretty long career. Yeah, stocky kind of hitter, more emphasis on the hit tool, a little speedy, decent fielder.
0: Mm. Uh, okay, so I'm going to trade Peyton because he's a whatever outfielder and I don't really care. <laughs> I will extend Ordonez because he's just so much fun to watch, even though glove first infielders are also whatever. And then uh, Paul Wilson, like, his ERA and his predictors look bad by today's standards, but by the time standards, he's basically like a back-end starter or middle reliever. And we all know how useful a back-end starter is, so uh, I guess I'll uh, uh, promote him.
1: I'm going to go a slightly different route. I am going to trade Wilson because he was a member of Generation K, and yeah. every time that's
0: mentioned on Twitter, I... Lose my shit. So, but you know uh, they're still paying Bobby Benilla? Yeah, you know, that's real important yeah. too. Um, I
1: am aware. Um, that's another thing I, I don't really like thinking about. But a story for another day. Uh, I am going to promote Jay Payton because, like I said, he had he had a pretty long career, semi useful, decent defensive center fielder, and uh, I'm going to extend Ray
2: Ardonia's for the same reason as you. So. Yeah, I went the same way with Kenny. Um I, we all have in common extending Ray Ordonez and just it's always it's gonna be talked about ad nauseum, but just his those highlights, his defense, it just really was one of the best.
0: I mean baseball has the best highlights of any sport and Ordonez was just an infield highlight machine. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: He was legit. I'm going to read his his batting line in 1999 and keep Yikes. in mind he was worth uh 3 F4 in that season because of his glove. 258 319 317 62 WRC+. Yikes. Plus. Yikes. Worth 3 F4 because of his defense. No, it never happened again, but <laughs>
0: That's because he was a 33-weighted the next
1: year. <laughs> I mean, he got hurt, like... That, too, yeah. Very early in the season, if I recall correctly. But yeah. I
2: mean, that kind of was the end of the era of the undersized, right. no-bat, defensive specialist shortstop in the beginning of the, you know, offensive, bigger shortstops. I mean, that was Jeter, Garcia-Para... Um, the Oriole guy that I feel like an idiot for not remembering his name. Cal Ripken Jr., you know. The Oriole guy. <laughs> you know,
1: the just guy. the old son,
0: right? wow. The Oriole guy. <laughs> Allison is, like, screaming into the void right now.
2: <laughs> but, yeah, like, Ray Odoinez is definitely a callback to a, an, an older time. Today's era, you know, the closest, I guess, you can really compare him to is Giorme, Yeah. In terms of, you know, very good glove and... A uh, very light bat, and you know it's it's hard enough to justify Guillorme's presence on you know on a 20 man roster, 25 man roster, and it would be that much harder to justify Odonia's. Uh, in today's day
0: and age, I'm sorry, Steve. Let me inter- introduce you to one Adani Echeverria, who are oh. paying three million to be <laughs> Luis Giorme on the Major League roster.
2: Well, last time I checked, uh, he was the major offensive force in uh, yesterday's <laughs> ball game. So,
0: well, leadoff hitter on Sunday, great. <laughs> um, real quick, circling back, the Astros and Angels did play in Monterey this season, so, mm. so the stats I saw were relevant. It's like. The only park higher than it is Coors. It has, if it was a major league park, it would have the shallowest walls and it would also have the lowest walls. So that score against the Padres kind of makes sense.
2: So it's basically Manfred's wet dream then.
0: Except the games are all going to take five hours. Manfred's got some weird priorities, man. Yeah, I don't know. Hit dingers, but not too many dingers.
1: I'm uh, I'm gonna stay silent during uh <laughs> this portion.
2: <laughs> All right, well that's enough about the major leagues and I guess we'll look at the minor leagues now. And the Syracuse Mets went three and three this week, and they are seventeen and twelve for the season, which puts them two and a half games behind the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs for first place in the International League North. The Binghamton Rumble Ponies, they went five and two. And that puts them at 15 and 9, which is tied for first with the Trenton Thunder in the Eastern League Eastern Division. Saint Lucie went 3 and 2, and then they just had a game outright canceled, and that puts them at 16 and 2 for the season, which is two and a half games behind the Fort uh, behind the Fort Myers Miracle for first place in the Florida uh, State League Southern Division. And the Columbia Fireflies downward spiral continues, and they are now 8-19 and for the season, nice. which is six games behind the Greenville Drive in the South Atlantic League Southern Division. So the month of April is in the books now, and so far the system really seems like it's feast or famine. Syracuse, Binghamton, St. Lucie, they are all outperforming my expectations. Maybe not Binghamton as much, since they do have some legit Pitching, but Syracuse and St. Lucie—they're definitely outperforming what I thought we were going to get out of them. But Columbia, on the other hand, is way, 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 way underperforming. And right now, the the system as a whole just isn't really looking too good.
0: Yeah, I mean Columbia is shocking, given like how much talent. Like at the start of the season, we're like, yeah, Columbia's got a fun roster, and
2: yeah, well, when Mark Vientas is hitting 217. When Ronnie yeah. Mauricio is hitting two seventy six but without much power yeah. or on base. Completely empty. Two when Servian Newton is hitting one oh three, and obviously he did spend a couple of weeks on the injured list, but still um
0: you know, it just it's just not good. Woof, forty five and a half percent strikeout weight for Newton. Uh you beat me to it. Woof.
1: I mean, it's only 33 plate appearances, but yeah, it's not great, Bob.
0: It circles back to our discussion from last week about assignments. So maybe this was slightly too aggressive for Newton.
1: Maybe we'll see. Yeah. I mean, it is what it's got. What like a, a full month until short season begins?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: So he's got a month to you know show something before
2: that comes into play because I don't think you send him back to extended, you know? Yeah. I remember in Vientos's case anyway, he did sort of kind of slow last season. Mm -hmm. So maybe he's just one of those kinds of guys that's a slow starter. But yeah, it's, it's just, it's not time to worry yet, but it's, it's not good.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm less concerned with like the absolute bottom line. And more, int- like just more interested in like what their approach is, what their problems are right now. Like Mauricio doesn't look overmatched; It just looks like he needs to add strength or or tweak some things. Vientos doesn't look overmatched; she's just not hitting for any power. Like he's not, but striking out that much is indicative of you are totally lost and facing competition this good right now is probably a waste of time for you.
1: You mean yes. for Newton?
0: For Newton, excuse me. Yeah, Newton, like, if you're striking out that much, right, like, so yeah. you're just totally lost.
2: Hopefully he shows
1: a little more in the next month or so, and, you know, if it continues, Brooklyn's
2: not that, you know. And Vientos is striking out a lot, too. It's kind of,
1: yeah,
0: you know, he's in a similar boat. Walks think- are
2: down, Ks are up.
0: It's a big difference between 25% and 45%.
2: Right, well, I'm just saying. His, it's a not optimal uh, strikeout rate. <laughs> yeah, agreed. But in Newton's case, it's really not an optimal. <laughs> well, um, things are not all bad. Because luckily, some players have kind of gone on some hot streaks. And that brings us to our hitter of the week, who is... Binghamton third baseman Will Toffee. This week he played in seven games and he hit 300, 533, 500 with two doubles. Um, no any, no other extra bases, just two doubles. But he walked nine times in Ooh. seven <laughs> games. And he stole a base to boot, which is pretty impressive. I, um, I really like Toffee. Yeah, I mean... It's a... It's a very it, it's a profile that has a very uh, it, it's a tightrope walk. My biggest issue with him is is yes the eye is good, but there really are no other carrying tools, and that's kind of problematic. If he was a guy that you know walked a lot and had a lot of power, you know he mm-hmm. could be like a, a, a true outcomes kind of guy. Sure. Um, you know if if he was a guy that walked a lot and played amazing defense like, you know, like Ordonez or Guillaume, like we were talking about, you could tolerate having a guy like that because of the defense, but Mm -hmm. he doesn't really have too much power because of just his approach. Um, He swings very late, which is why he's able to, you know, his eye is very good. So he's able to kind of swing late and he kind of also is a guy that goes opposite field a lot and that saps a lot of the power. So even though, his raw power is, you know, average. It's it's not bad. His in-game power is probably never going to be that great, which, you know, is, I don't know, third baseman with, you know, doesn't really have the ability to hit for a very high average, doesn't really hit for much power. I don't know.
0: I mean, it's definitely, it's not a starter profile probably. I will say that he's still within the time frame of recovery from the shoulder injury he had last season, so... Mm-hmm. I think there's a little more power in there, but the approach oh, yeah. the approach I
2: don't, I don't think that he's going to hit like border you know, he's for the season right now. He's his slugging percentage is 380. I mean, I, I don't think that that's going to stay below 400 for mm-hmm. the season.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's kind of like uh the name that's popping into my head is uh Derek Barton. I don't know if you guys remember him. He was like a first baseman for the for the mm-hmm. A's a couple years ago. Um, like similar thing, walked a lot, not a lot of power. What I think he was a very good defensive player, but he was a first baseman. So <laughs> I think that has utility as like a bench bat. And also, I just love—I really like the idea of Frankensteining players, and then like, <laughs> all right, like what if you gave Ahmed Rosario with his quick twitch, quick twitch athleticism, if you gave him Will Toffey's eye and approach. Like, uh, that's, that a, was, that's the kind of stuff yeah, that I uh, like bouncing in my head, so that's why I like Toffee.
1: Yeah, you'd have a very good hitter.
0: You'd have, yeah. like, a monster shortstop.
2: And that, you'd you'd have many Machado, basically. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, my worry with this type of player, um, basically, I was talking to Jared about it yesterday, watching um, Jack Leiter pitch, and uh about, like, walk rate in the minors, and walk rate in general.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, you have to be able to make enough contact for guys just not to fill up the zone, you know. Oh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. fair. So that that's my big worry with with Toffee is that he's not going to make enough contact to let the uh, the on base approach play fully.
0: No, I, I definitely agree with that. We shall see. I think and Nimo obviously had like better underlying skills, but. Lots of people had the same sort of questions about Nemo. Like you could see yeah. where the power was going to come with Nemo, but people would ask the same questions. Yeah. Like,
1: mm-hmm. It's something that I don't know if you can count on until they do it in the big leagues for a while. Right. I
0: agree. know. I agree. So
1: that being said, he's, he's doing pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Hey, a good now, week.
1: If, yeah. 50% above league average in double A. Even if you are repeating a little bit, that's, that's pretty good.
0: Not that it's – sorry, go ahead. Anytime
2: you can draw nine walks in seven games is pretty good.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. very good. And not that it's a tool that normally shows up, but like if there's an eight for an eye at the plate sort of tool, that might be toffee like that. And the eight tools are always fun to see, so. True.
2: All right, well, our pitcher of the week this week is uh, St. Lucie right-handed Tommy Wilson – He pitched one game this week, and he actually had a uh, uh, no-hitter going for seven innings before he was taken out because of pitch count and everything. But he threw seven scoreless innings, he walked three, and he struck out nine. So Wilson, obviously, everybody's going to remember him. He is the son of uh, Thomas Wilson, who was the actor that played Biff in Back to the Future. But he is a decent uh, athlete on his own right and is a decent baseball player. Uh, the Mets picked him last year with the 19th round pick out of – he played oh, in a bunch of different colleges. But he was at Cal State Fullerton last, and that's what they drafted him out of. Um, he signed for uh, $90,000, which is actually on the higher side for non-prep uh player that was picked that late, a couple more thousand, a couple more 10,000, I should say, and he would have actually counted towards the uh, overslot bonuses and everything. But he was with Brooklyn for last year. He performed well. He posted a one-two-three ERA out of the bullpen in 22 innings. And uh, this year, obviously, he's doing okay. Uh, I didn't think that he would be bad or anything, but I th- he's definitely doing better than I thought he would. Um, his fastball is, I guess I would say, average, maybe fringe average. It sits 88 to 94, generally is, settles in around 91 to 93 or so, and uh, doesn't have too much movement. So it really, really, um, his... I'll, I guess I'll skip ahead a little bit, but really his... Ability to get swings and misses and everything comes from his mechanics. Um, because his slider's okay and his changeup is okay and his fastball obviously is kind of eh. But the way that he throws, um, he keeps his. It's reminiscent of Vic Black, if anyone remembers him, and mm-hmm. Juan Urbina, if anyone remembers him, where he keeps his glove. He separates his his hand and his glove in front of his. Uh, knee lift. So he'll have an empty glove in front of his knee, he'll have the ball behind his arm, and then he'll you know, rear back and throw. And in addition to doing that, sometimes he adds hesitation, pauses, hitches into his delivery to change up the timing and just kind of screw with the batters. And it's just, I don't know, it, it's kind of hard to describe, I guess. You'd have to see it to really get it, if I'm not really... Making much sense, I guess. But it as as a spectator in the stands, watching him it was just weird and and kind of jarring to watch, I guess. And then to be you know, imagining myself as a batter who is in the box against him seeing that would be probably a lot you know it would make hitting him a lot tougher, I guess, because, you know, you only have a couple of milliseconds to decide swing, miss, where you're gonna swing, all that kind of stuff.
0: Um not saying that he's got the same pitch quality, but like uh Johnny Cueto, in terms of like the weird stuff on the mound, where he like turns his back sometimes, he like not that kind that of not that
2: much, not that much. I mean, mm-hmm. well, Cueto is very uh, exaggerated, right, in doing things like that. But like he'll like uh, he'll he'll add a, a, a pause, like a slight pause, or he'll move his arm angle a little bit, mm-hmm. or he'll just kind of hesitate before. Um, Pitching, you know, things like that. Nothing too major. Nothing major like Cueto, but... Uh, the Mets were a little aggressive, I think, assigning him to Florida State League, St. Lucie Mets. Uh, they skipped him over the Sally. I could have seen it going either way, obviously. But um, they're still using him as a starter, which I think is a little... I mean, it's good. You don't want to transition a guy into relief too early, especially if he has the ability to... Make starts, but just a guy like his profile, you know, he would get a little velocity boost as a reliever, and I think his atypical mechanics would probably be even better out of the bullpen because it would minimize the exposure that other batters get to it. You know, they wouldn't get two, three, four at bats in the game and and be able to adjust. They get one, two, maybe in a series. I think he would be better as a reliever, but he's still starting and he's still, you know, putting up. Decent numbers so far a month into the season, so maybe he can keep going.
0: Yeah, that's a, I mean, I think I mentioned this in the blurb I wrote for Stephen Velines this year, but like in an age where all the pitching cross, or most of the pitching crossbacks we talk about are like 95 razor blade slider, the guys who do something different is just like aesthetically pleasing. Like you, you're succeeding. Like you're getting, you're putting up the same kind of results, but you're doing it in a totally different way, and that's cool.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that this is a bigger conversation than just you know Wilson at this point. But I think that at some point soon, there will be kind of a paradigm shift in terms of pitching because, like we've talked about, I think it was last week or maybe the week before. Like a guy like Syndergaard who throws so su- super hard is not, you know rare anymore every team has a guy like that right and at some point you know guys that are throwing slower but doing different things are going to start having success because everyone's getting used to seeing those guys that are throwing you know triple digits so it'll be interesting in the next couple of years to see if things start changing like that so you're saying that in a world of
1: 95 plus velocity uh 89 with some funk may prove to be king
2: uh, maybe not 89, but you know, 91, 92. That might be.
0: That might uh, be I really start, hope so. You know. Yeah, it'd be fun. I, I, something I'd love to see, and this is, I think, I think some of the stat heady, stat head guys have started pulling this out. Uh, the key to these kind of guys is that they do all this, and then their pitches tunnel super well anyway. I, like, this is the kind of picture where I wish we had those tunneling numbers in the minor leagues. Like, it'd be really interesting to say, all right, you're messing with your delivery. You're doing something a little different every pitch, just subtly different. And then all your pitches look the same anyway. Right? right, that'd be – that's a, that sounds like a really good formula if you can actually pull it off.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, minor league stuff, like traditional scouting information from, like, actual witnesses and and stuff like that is – More important, but to have access to kind of advanced sabermetric data and and radar things like that would would unlock like a whole new level of analysis for minor league players, and that would be great. But unfortunately, that's not really the reality that we have right now. No. If if you have radar guns that are accurate in certain stadiums or minor league baseball TV feeds that are decent, that's like. Hitting jackpot, so. Yeah,
0: getting getting a minor league stream that has like more than five pixels on the screen uh, on the screen is a <laughs> massive. Like, victory. Yeah, let's approve that first, and then we go to the stat cast in every stadium part. Yeah, well,
2: still a ways to go. Maybe in our lifetime, if if climate change doesn't kill us.
0: Oh, uh, n- now now we're getting depressing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, on that na- on that note, let's go take a break then.
0: Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
2: And welcome back, everybody. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm joined by Lucas Lajos and Ken Lavin. And today is Cinco de Mayo. I guess if you're listening to this tomorrow, it'll have been yesterday. But we're going to talk about minor league baseball's Latin American awareness and outreach uh, project that's going on throughout the year, Copa de la División. Uh, the four pillars of this initiative as explained by minor league baseball are to a increase awareness, authentic engagement and attendance with US Hispanics and Latinos, Latinos, Latinas in their local community, to embrace the culture that is passionate about baseball, family and fun by updating the ballpark experience to match the values that these fans cherish most. C to create and employ culturally relevant on-field personas that authentically connect with team with their local U.S. Hispanic, Latino, Latina community, and D, amplify minor league baseball's continuous effort to diversify the game and business of baseball nationwide. So in a lot of cases, teams will just kind of do a theme night with stuff and just kind of call it a day. You know, I've gone to plenty of... Cyclones games on Heritage Night, where it'll be something like the jerseys are green, you know, for Irish heritage, or they'll have lasagna at the concessions for Italian heritage, or the team name is in Hebrew lettering instead of English, you know, kind of minor things that are just like, all right, whatever, like, cool, but okay. For this heritage initiative, minor league baseball really went all out, and 72 teams from short A to triple A, they're going to be periodically changing their name their logo, all that stuff, to celebrate Latin American culture, heritage, everything. And it isn't just kind of like Los Met stuff. Um, there's a few teams that didn't really change anything, like the the Dayton Tortugas. That's already Spanish. Um, there's a couple of teams that just kind of went the uncreative route of just translating what their team name is into Spanish, like the Trenton Thunder or the Trenton Trueno's. But the majority of the participating teams, they really went all out. Um, There's some really creative names and really creative logos. For anybody that hasn't already checked them out, you can see them all at milb.com slash fans slash copa slash teams. And there's a listing of all the teams, all the logos, and explanations of what everything means and how it all ties back to Latin American culture and baseball and everything. So, um, let's, I guess, go round. Well, first, let's talk about the Brooklyn, the, the Mets ones. Their two Mets teams are the Jefes, the Brooklyn Jefes, and the Chicharrones de Colombia, instead of the Colombia Fireflies. So, what do you guys think about, um, the Jefes? Uh, Um,
0: so, uh, uh, yeah, so, Full disclosure: I took French instead of Spanish in high school, so I speak no Spanish. I don't know how to pronounce Spanish words. Uh, I looked at the Brooklyn one and I read Brooklyn Jeffs. <laughs> I'm like, did Jeff Wilpon name rename the team after himself? <laughs> Which is obviously not how it's pronounced. Uh, but that, that's my that's my only real comment on the Brooklyn one. The the Columbia one is great because chicharrones are delicious. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and the, the bright red pig logo with uh, the segments is
0: mm-hmm. pretty great. You know? I want a burrito now.
1: <laughs>
2: oh, yeah, hard same. <laughs> big fan of the chicharonis. I, I love pigs. I'm a very big pig fan. Um, Not just eating, but just like as pets. I wish I could have a pet pig, but they're illegal in New York City, unfortunately. And the Hefes is pretty cool. I like the, the logo. It's kind of a graffiti stylized image of the Brooklyn Bridge. Mm-hmm. And it looks kind of like a crown in a way. And, and that resembles kind of that famous iconic picture of Biggie with the crown. So that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's intentional or not. But that's what it you know, is. Just, it's just cool. At, at first, I didn't really like the Hefes because, I don't know, it didn't really seem very creative. But, I think it's know, kind of a boring name, but the execution was very good. Right, exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah, I can <laughs> I can agree with that.
2: Alright, so let's go around uh round Robin, I guess, and we'll pick there are five non Mets teams that we like the most. No orders, you know, or anything like that. Um, I'll go first, I guess. Uh first team that I'm gonna pick it are the Mal de Ojo de Dorum, the evil eyes. I think that their logo is pretty sick. Um it's the Dorum Bull, but in a different uh like a front point of view. It kinda of looks like a beholder, which is uh really badass Dungeons and Dragons monster for anyone that
0: mm-hmm.
2: knows what it is. I got you. Yep. <laughs> and the story behind it is also really cool. Um they say like, you know, the teams that play Dorum are suffering from the evil eye and that explains why the Bulls have been so good. And I actually looked at their numbers and They've basically been in the playoffs for like every single year for the past 2 decades, which is pretty crazy. So,
0: that's nuts. It's a good
2: story, good logo, good name.
0: Uh, you, all right, so we're just going to do one each and like a, Yeah, we'll just okay. do one each. Yeah, thing. we'll just keep going until we, you know. Uh, you want to go, Kev?
1: Sure. Um, I am a big fan of Mexican street corn which is, for anyone who doesn't know, it's corn lightly mixed with some, um, I forget the type of cheese, but some cheese and a little bit of spice.
0: Tea, huh? and, cheese, right?
1: uh, yeah, I think so. Um, it's delicious. So the Clinton Elote of the Marlin system are, thats uh, probably my favorite non-Mets affiliate uh, participating. The logo is pretty cool. Uh, I'm a Anybody who knows me knows I'm a big fan of bright colors, so pink and yellow are prominently featured. Uh, yeah, big fan of the elotes. Uh
0: yeah, so I just found another one I really like, but I'll stick with the one I was gonna talk about originally. <laughs> the uh, so the Lakewood blue claws became the Medusas de Lakewood. Uh, so Medusa is just a type of jellyfish. Technically it's not a jellyfish, but I'm I am not gonna do that. Um so, I mean, that's cool enough itself because I was a marine biology, not growing up. But their logo is really great. It's like this angry-looking jellyfish, <laughs> and it has a coral bat in one hand. It's awesome. Like epic attention to detail. Yeah, it's it, it's really so. Like there are definitely some here that's like, okay, that's a cool concept, and then your logo is bad, or all right, your logo, your the concept is whatever, but the logo is really cool. And this is definitely towards the 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 latter one. Um, but like the the logo's really, really great for this one. Unfortunately Liquid is a Philly team, but whatever.
2: Oh, well, they're also yeah, they're the closest local. uh the closest low A team, so <clears throat> uh I'm gonna go next with the Eugene Monarchs. It's a very nice logo. It's very intricate, like a butterfly, and they are obviously monarch butterflies. They use a bat as the butterfly body. It has thirty three little white dots all across its body, and those little dots represent 33 different countries in Latin America. Oh, and then it's, cool. its wings are stylized on the bottom to have little evergreen trees. And that represents Oregon, where they play. So good attention to detail there.
0: Go ahead, Ken. Uh, let's see.
1: Who's my next one? I'm going to go with the Lansing Locus. Um. From Minor League Baseball's uh, website. It stems from the team's original Let's Go Nuts battle cry. And uh, I just – I like the logo a lot. It's like a bird, and its eyes are, like, moving in two different directions, and it's just fun. <laughs> Big uh,
0: fan. That is, that's pretty great. Um, so Yeah, I was originally going to say another one, but then I found this. The Flying Chonclas de, Anto- de San Antonio <laughs> – <laughs> so, the logo's whatever. It's just like a flying flip-flop. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the, the chancla is like this really common foot footwear item that uh, abuelas will use to, um, how do I phrase this, impart discipline. <laughs> um, and there are many fantastic memes about like you're, so, some old abuela with like, Targeting systems to throw a chancla across a house, like curves around walls. So really, I just like this one for the memes, and it's it's,
1: it's, it's a semi-common meme in uh, a Slack too. Yes, <laughs> throwing absolutely. shoes at bad puns. Yes, so.
0: it's glorious. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know how I missed this the first time I went through it. Um,
2: the next team I'll pick are the Soniadores the Hillsborough, the Dreamers. Uh, It's a stylized coyote howling uh, to the moon, I would assume, I guess. And it's just very, the imagery evokes kind of Mesoamerican dream quests. And it just looks very, you know, Simpsons-esque, obviously, that episode of The Simpsons where Homer eats the chili pepper and, and goes on a dream quest with the coyote. It also looks kind of like the Arizona coyotes alternative logo which also is probably based on the same Simpsons episode. It's just a really very important episode of The Simpsons, I guess.
0: <laughs> Simpsons stood it first. True. Yeah.
1: They did. Um, my next one is the Llamas de Hickory. Um, a, a team that has, like, a, a good – the Crawdads, uh, which is a good normal mascot, but the Llamas um, – Kind of a not necessarily like the most interesting name, but the logo again, like very strong. Mm-hmm. It's like a llama wearing a multicolor like hat and with a uh, a furniture leg in its mouth, which is like a local nod to um Hickory's local furniture producing industry I didn't know and that. the yeah, apparently <laughs> and uh just the coloring is fantastic. The llama looks pretty surly, big fan.
0: It is uh, a good one yeah that one is good Jessica for the hilarity of having a llama as a mascot
1: that too yeah if I hadn't already bought a, a chicharones hat I would definitely buy a llama's day hickory hat
0: but yeah this, this event is yeah. really wish making me wish I wore hats ever but I don't yeah
1: <laughs> there's like six I would buy
0: uh-huh uh so this one given given your love for bright colors I'm surprised you didn't pick this one uh Oh man, I'm gonna butcher this. The veguantes, ve- the the Scranton's Wilk Bear one, Wilk Bear ones. So they're usually the rail riders. Veguantes. Veguantes. Um, veggie- I'm gonna go with. Um, so I'm a sucker for uh, uh, folklore and myth. Like that was just one of the other things I really enjoyed reading about growing up. And in Puerto Rican folklore, the veguantes are these demons that would yell at people for not going to church. Um, <laughs> No, that was like like it's of course taken on many forms over the years, but that was one form it took, um, uh, in Spain, and then eventually translating over to Puerto Rico, and then the mascot is like this multicolored blue and red demon with bright green wings and two maracas. It, it's it's very cool. Um, yeah. but it would fit right in with your love of bright colors because it's got like, yeah. this, thing, this thing's like. They crammed as much into this logo as they could.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I'm more of a fan of the like bright, like yellows and, and like pinks. You know, mm-hmm. the colors that aren't typically baseball uniforms. That's uh, fair. But that is a very strong one.
2: Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, the team that I'm going to go with next are the Pedro Santos de Charleston. Mm-hmm. Normally they're the River Dogs, but now they're going to be the holy dogs, and apparently Charleston is known as the holy city of South Carolina for whatever reason, and it's just, it's a a good logo, it's kind of stylized dog head, Um, his mouth are baseball seams, which is a nice little piece of detail, and the background, it shows like the base paths, you know, it, it shows the diamond, and... Each baseline, you know, first to second, second to third, third to home, home to first, it's all little bones, which is a little nice little
0: detail. I didn't notice that. That's really cool.
2: And it's a good name, too.
0: Pero Santos. It's a good, they're good, they're good mascots, Brett. <laughs> Sounds like uh, 10 of our listeners understood that joke. Yeah. Let's uh, give a shout out to uh, at dog rates. Yep. <laughs> It's truly and one of the donks. best Twitter accounts, yes. followed By Paul. far, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh,
1: my next one is the Pacantes de Lake County, which is just like a mean-looking chili pepper. Um, I'm kind of shocked that no team has had a mean-looking chili pepper as their mascot <laughs> before.
0: They should just make this permanent. It's great. They really should.
1: Like, it's pretty fantastic. He's He's fiery. He's... Looks like he's ready to fight. It's it's pretty fantastic.
0: Uh, let's see. Uh, what was my next one? Well, I can't. Oh, here it is. So I I like the uh, the North. First of all, where is Canapolis? But it's the uh North Carolina. Okay, the Rapidos de Canapolis. They're usually the Canapolis intimidators. Um. So Rap- Rapidos it's like okay it's speed it about they have some explanation about why that's their name but their mascot is basically a flaming bird like it looks like a phoenix flying past their their team name uh and it like I said I'm great yeah like I like I said I'm a sucker for mythological references so this one this one's pretty cool I think they could have like the color scheme could be like it needs a little dash of red or something but
2: yeah it's kind of it doesn't pop out
0: right, it's all kind of light Right I, mean, right, I think they
1: could really use like a darker color in
0: there. Yeah, like a darker red or something. But, but the it's it's like eighty percent of the way there to being a really awesome awesome logo. So, I like that one.
2: <clears throat> All right. Um. Well, my last one is going to be the Calaveras de West Michigan. Um, instead of the Whitecaps, they're the Skulls. And the logo, it's actually a stylized version of their normal white cap logo. Instead of like a wave, it's a skull. Like kind of a haunted-looking skull, I guess. Maybe there's some ectoplasm around it. I don't know. But it has kind of Mexican-looking embellishments on it. Um, also, you know, the mouth that, that make it look like a baseball seam. And the eyes and the nose are a stylized 616, which is actually the area code that they play in, which is a pretty cool little... No. detail also
0: that makes sense
2: mm-hmm. and it kind of also looks like the shield logo in a way actually too
0: i'm gonna i'm gonna have to, if i say anything i'm gonna wind up spoiling endgame so i'm gonna say nothing
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah we don't want to do that uh my next one is one that i thought steve would have and that's the dorados de sacramento Ah. Uh, which is, um, the logo is a luchador, which for those of you who don't know is a, um, Latin American type of wrestler. And, uh, yeah, the whole aesthetic's pretty great. Um, yeah, pretty yeah, fantastic.
0: I, I fully expected Steve to pick out the, the matador.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I think I mentioned that when we were planning the, <laughs> the segment that <laughs> this one was like tailor-made for Steve.
2: It also has, I think, I'm. Um, I mean, I don't really know Sacramento, but does this, this, Lucas. You probably know some kind of bridge. Is there a famous? Not the Golden Gate, because I, I know that's San Francisco and Oakland. But
0: uh, uh, that's uh, 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 okay. not. <laughs> you're you're overestimating how for, for, Sacramento is actually. It's not kind of a pain <laughs> to get to from like the Berkeley San Francisco area. So I never made it out that that way. Yeah. Um. So I can't comment as to any large bridges.
2: Well, there's something that looks like a bridge in the background in mm-hmm. front of the behind the luchador guy, which is pretty cool. Another pretty cool detail as well.
0: Uh, so so my last one is, again, just a funny one. Uh, the Matamoscas de Medessa. Mid- so it's like the Midland Rockhounds usually. Um, I had no idea what this word meant. It's apparently a fly swatter, so their mascot is now an anthropomorphized fly swatter. <laughs> and the, so the mascot, I think they could have made it like more baseball inspired, but it's still just a fly swatter as a mascot. Like that's fantastic. Um, yeah. So I thought I thought that was very funny.
1: I would love to see them do like a um a mascot suit for that. I, I don't know how they would do it, but I think that that would be a very cool.
0: I think you thing need, to like have a. <laughs> I'd want to see them have like two mascots at, or or maybe even a couple so you have like a main mascot who's the fly swatter and then a bunch of people dressed up as flies running around <laughs> that the the fly swatter is trying to chase. That would be entertaining. Be a ton of fun. I'll sell you the idea for like, I don't know, 50 bucks. Hit me up.
2: <laughs> well, those are our favorites and I want to know what everyone out there, all of our listeners, I want to go know what you guys' favorites are. So email us at fromcomplex to queens one word, at gmail.com. And you'll actually be entered into a contest that we're going to have to win a pair of Brooklyn Cyclones tickets um, up to the winner dates. You know, all that stuff will be worked out once a winner is selected. But make sure you put COPA in the heading. You'll be officially entered and email us and let us know your top five. And speaking of the Cyclones, that brings us to our final segment of Oh Yeah, That Guy, where we look back and remember some Mets league guys from yesteryear. And the player that I selected uh, is a guy that is best known for his time in Brooklyn, and that would be Brandon Moore. And do either of you guys remember Brandon Moore?
0: I remember the name. Uh, Same.
2: Hmm. Well, this week um, in 2011, he made two starts for Binghamton. On the thirtieth he threw seven innings of shutout ball. He allowed two hits, walked nine and struck out nine. And then on cinco de Mayo in twenty eleven, he threw eight in the third innings, allowing just one unearned run while giving up five hits, walking one, and striking out five. So he had a pretty good week. He went he won two game both games that he pitched, and he had perfect zero ERA in fifteen in the third innings. And he allowed seven hits, walked one and struck out fourteen, which is pretty good. He was drafted in the 14th round of the uh, 2008 draft. He signed out of, he was a senior signing uh, out of Indiana Wesleyan College, and he is best known for throwing the first no hitter in Cyclone's history, which he did on August 23rd, 2009. It was a doubleheader, so it was a seven inning game, but it counts all the same against the uh, Aberdeen Ironbirds. And as is common, I guess, in a lot of these no-hitter stories, he didn't have his best stuff. Uh He's actually throwing up before the game. He was kind of sick. Um His fastball command was bad. And between innings, basically, Colin McHugh, who was a teammate of his at the time, was forcing him to drink because it was hot and he was getting dehydrated and everything. But he walked a few guys and he hit a batter, but he didn't allow a hit. And yeah, he had a we- good... S- uh, he had a good season that year. Um, he went to Savannah and St. Lucie in 2010. He made it to AA in 2011. But the lack of, his, you know, lack of stuff basically exposed him, as is the case with so many minor league players. Uh, he posted a 447 ERA in 133 innings. And then to make matters worse, at the end of the year, he was suspended for a drug of abuse. And he got suspended for 50 games. So he served his suspension at the beginning of 2010, uh, excuse me, at the beginning of 2012. He returned in June. He was basically used sparingly as a reliever for Binghamton. He wasn't very good, and he got released at the end of the season. And that was the end of the story of Brandon Moore. He had the body of a good pitcher. He was a big guy. He was 6'3", 200 pounds, but he just didn't really have a major league caliber fastball. Uh, It sat basically 87 to 91, which... 10 years ago it was a little bit more palatable, but still, you know, it was not that great. Um, he had a decent slider because of his arm slot. He threw it from a low three quarters, almost sidearm delivery. So that's what basically helped him dominate in the lower minors. But, you know, once he got to double A, the
0: jig was up. That's uh, MVP Colin McHugh. Yeah. I mean, who knows what
2: would have happened? He might have died. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs>
0: Dehydration is no joke. No, it yeah. isn't. Um, so my guy is definitely much more recent, but – so I, I've i been – weirdly, I was trying to think of him last week, couldn't pull the name, and went with someone else. I don't even remember who my guy was last week. Um. But then we were having a discussion about uh, uh, catchers who shouldn't have been catchers uh, in the Slack this week. Uh, and the name finally clicked, and I was thinking of Brandon Broscher, uh who was a quote-unquote catcher <laughs> who could hit some absolute bombs. And that's about his only skill. Uh, I don't think he uh, – as of – like he was drafted in 2013 in the 36th round. Uh, I don't think he caught much or at all for the Mets. Like, I think they tried him there a little bit and then accepted the fact that he's not a catcher in a very un way. Um, but he just hit dingers whenever he hit. Uh, and then in this, uh, at, yeah, in the past week, 2017, uh, he had a week where he hit 300, uh, had a, had a homer only in three games played, 12 played appearances, Uh, 417 on base, 600 slugging. Uh, That's good for a 192 weighted. um, Yeah, Brandon Brosher. Would have been cool if he could catch, because that power would have made him a backup for, like, ever.
2: Yeah. um, A lot of times, backup catchers just don't have any other secondary skills. They're good with the glove, and that's about it. But, I mean, any kind of a backup catcher that has any secondary ability whether it be ability to get on base or some power is always would always be nice but that's it's the kind of stuff get, that I guess uh...
1: Oh, that's basically what kept Anthony Wrecker around for a while because he was not a bad defensive catcher and he, We
0: all uh, know what really kept Anthony Wrecker around. I mean we,
1: we all know the story of Anthony Wrecker's you know backside, but um <laughs> he also was good for a dong or two every couple of years, every couple of months. So Yes. Yeah.
2: Oh you have to excuse my dog there.
0: No problem. <laughs> They're good dogs, Brent. All you can.
1: Okay, so mine is um, a pitcher that I, I think we all are pretty familiar with, and that's uh, Jack Leathersich, uh, fifth-round draft pick in the 2011 draft out of UMass Lowell. On Cinco de Mayo 2015, he threw a scoreless inning uh, with a K. It was one of three scoreless innings he threw that week, uh, and in total for the week, he struck out six of the 11 hitters he faced, allowed no runs, and just a single walk and a single hit. Um, so Leather Sitch got called up, um, at the end of April in 2015 and made 17 appearances for the Mets that year. Uh, it was pretty good, uh, pitching to a 2.31 ERA and a 2.79 FIP, striking out 10.8, uh, per nine against, you know, a very high, but you know, that was kind of the story with Le- Leather Sitch. uh, 5.40, uh, walks per nine across eleven point two innings. Um he got sent back down to the minors in late June of that year and uh his, you know, career was never kind of the same after he was left in to pitch I think it was fifty seven pitches over two innings that didn't go particularly well for Las Vegas at the end of June. And uh he pretty much needed Tommy John immediately after that and uh that kind of ended his time with the Mets. Uh, he did pitch a little bit for the Cubs and the Pirates in 2017 after reco- recovering from the injury, but, you know, not particularly well, and he's currently a free agent. So we'll pour some out for Jack Leathersich.
0: Thanks, Wally. Yeah. Another casualty
2: yep. of Wally. Great job, Wally.
0: There was... uh like the there there was a lot of anger about that at the time.
1: Yeah, he wasn't like an insignificant like reliever prospect too. He was like no, a guy like he,
0: he was like an, he was an on actually, pretty much
1: everyone's top thirty list. Mm-hmm. You know,
0: I think we saw him as like he could you could be a seventh inning or an eighth inning guy. And yeah, a shuttle guy. And no, <laughs> in a, in, a, in a couple of years, the Mets could have used him for sure. And
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> The guy you keep around until he's out of options. And, uh, yeah.
0: I mean, aside from the fact that it's just awful for him, personally. Oh, you know,
1: so. yeah. Also true. Um, it probably one of the the last straws for Wally Backman in the organization. Would you guys agree with that?
2: Uh, I would hope so. And
0: I'm.
1: I when he got fired, but, um.
0: You know, I wouldn't I have. That was
2: a, a large part of it.
0: Mm hmm. I wouldn't have been surprised if that didn't even factor into the decision because Mets. Yeah, they're... yeah, unfortunately. <clears throat>
2: well, you guys, have any uh, last words for the week?
0: God, huh? the Mets are terrible. Yeah, the Met month is strong. <sighs> we got deked huh? by another fast start. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep.
1: This one not as fast as the last couple.
2: <laughs> as long as they just always win on opening day and, and maintain that ridiculously high winning percentage, I'll be good, I guess. Yeah. They can lose everything after, but... As long as <laughs> one in one on sixty one <laughs> 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 Well That'll get them, uh, hopefully, anyway. I mean, you never know, but with the Marlins... But hopefully a one and one sixty one record would give them the first draft pick, and that will, I guess, segue to next next week when we will start uh, looking at some draft uh, possible draft prospect profiles, and we'll just start talking about the draft because uh, it'll be a couple of weeks away.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, send us an email. Um, from Complex to Queens at gmail.com. Like I said earlier, if you'd like to enter into our COPA contest, email us with your top five teams, put COPA in the headlines, we know, and you'll be entered to win two tickets to a Cyclones game of your choice. Follow us on Twitter, uh, shoot us some questions there. I'm at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at El Vlahos 343, uh, three, and Ken is at, at Ken 1191. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already done so. Rate, review, all that good stuff. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will be back next week with a recap of the fifth week of the 2019 Mono season.